this episode, we will discuss Florida's loss at Rupp Arena, a game that was close for a half, but Florida just didn't start the second half well at all and ends up getting uh, clobbered by 21. Uh, tough loss for Florida, another quad one defeat. The Gators one and six in quad one games, part of why they are on the edge of the bubble right now. Eric Fawcett will join me. We're going to break that down, preview a big game at Texas A&M on Tuesday night. We thank you all for listening. Remember to go to iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a heart. Give us a review. Uh, We will read those on the air. We appreciate it. It helps us get sponsors. helps us keep the show going. Thank you all for listening, um, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Florida goes up to Rupp, competitive for a half, but uh, kind of run out of the building there in the second. Yeah, a bit of, uh, how would you say, I, I mean, about a half's worth of time um, split between the two halves, but uh, just a really tough start to, to the first and a little bit of a rough start to the second. And um, that's the difference in a 40-minute college basketball game. You put yourself in a little bit of a hole like that. Uh, it's going to be pretty tough to, to get your way out of it. Uh, and the Gators aren't really, you know, they've, they've gotten back in games sometimes because of, of the heart they play with and the effort they play with. But, you know, stylistically, they're not really built as a team that's, that's built to come back um, in terms of they don't have a lot of shooting. They don't play super fast and just kind of overall, they're not a super explosive offense. So they're just a team that, can't really withstand uh, too many runs, um, especially to very, very good teams. And Kentucky, um, you know, we think is is just that, and that's why it's a blowout. Yeah, Kentucky is awfully good, and and uh, Florida didn't help themselves any in that first stretch of the first half, as you mentioned. The Gators with five turnovers in the first eight minutes of the game. Um, that leads to 12 uh, – sorry, not 12. That leads to 10 Kentucky points uh, right out of the gate – off the turnovers and a 20 to six deficit. Um, you know, some of it I thought kind of unforced too. It wasn't like a lot of things that Kentucky was doing, especially the three turnovers that Colin Castleton had. I think it was one of those things where earlier in the season, we, we, we heard about how good of a passing team this, this Florida team was. I, I, I could be wrong, but I think maybe even White said it was one of the, the best or the best passing teams. Um, that he's yeah, had he in Florida. Okay, I just put before I, you know, misquote a guy. Um, and I, I think that a lot of that is true in terms of like unselfishness. Um, I think there's many willing passers and willing ball movers, but I, I think we've seen like whether it's guys just trying to hit a shooter, skip past over, over the floor, or whether it's trying to make an entry pass or uh, pushing it a little bit in transition. Uh, I, you know, the bar for best passing Florida team is, is you know, pretty low because they haven't had a lot of particularly good passers um, is other outside of the point guard position the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, while this might be a, a willing passing team, man, there's just games like this with Kentucky that there's so many, like you said, just unforced turnovers. That was just like, man, that was uh, not a good time to try to enter that ball or that was a tight window. And um, a team like Kentucky is going to make you pay for it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you've isolated the two moments of the game, both the starting segments, really. The beginning of the first half, beginning of the second half, where a five-point lead balloons back out to 14 in the second half. And so Florida had created 14-point deficits for itself in the first media timeout 
of both halves, and that's when eight of Florida's 10 turnovers happened. Now, I don't know if that's a focus issue. You know, I think if you had told Mike White, hey, you're only going to turn the ball over 10 times at Rupp Arena, and you're going to shoot close to 50% from the field, he would have felt pretty good about where they were at. Um, but uh, Kentucky with a season low five turnovers um, against a team, Florida, that has needed to turn people over to get easy baskets. And then uh, Kentucky plus 18 in transition offense. Yeah, I think that that's, um, you know, in a lot of ways, this game was just to kind of look at the the chasm between Florida and what it takes to, to be at the top of the SEC. Um, just because, again, there was just like so many areas where it's like, OK, they, you know, obviously shooting needs to get better. We, we know that. Um, but it's also like, OK, like transition wise, it's like, yeah, OK, they get really beat down in, in the fast break points on kind of both sides of the ball. Their transition defense wasn't good. Their transition offense wasn't good. Um, of course, rebounding was a problem. We get to that. We'll get to that. But I mean, there's just again, just like just so many areas that that the Gators are so far away from to, to compete at the top of the league, which is obviously their goal. And uh, I think it maybe even gets a little bit to, to the, the identity questions of like, what is this team, you know, particularly good at uh, you play, you know, you play a team like, uh, like Kentucky and, uh, and any flaws you have are, are going to be kind of spotlighted. And um, I think that that was just the case playing one of the best teams in the country on the road. It's just that that's, that's what happens. Your, your biggest flaws get illuminated. And I think we saw, you know, several of them. Yeah. Um, you know, we can get to Oscar Shibway and, and the monstrous game that he had in a moment, but I will say it was interesting to me yet again. We had alluded to it last podcast. I'd like to see CJ Felder at the five a little bit. Wanted to see more Niles Lane because it does seem like the best case scenario for this Florida team is to win games like some of Tony Bennett's Virginia teams and just make them absolutely eye gouging bad to watch. But uh, victory is beautiful. And, and Niles Lane only minus five yesterday and the plus minus. Uh, Florida had starters that were minus 24. So kind of gives you an idea of where Florida was defensively with Lane on the floor. And then uh, CJ Felder actually finished plus uh, yesterday. So, um, you know, and that's despite the fact that he was giving up a couple inches and just got moved around by Shibway a lot. I'd have to be encouraged by that. And I still, um, think that's got to be Florida's path forward in, in terms of finding an identity. I'll tell you what their identity isn't. And this is maybe another argument for, for more CJ Felder, Eric. I mean, Florida shot a high percentage yesterday at, at Rupp arena. It was the um, second highest percentage anyone shot there all year. Um, any opponent uh, only Vanderbilt shot it better. And I thought that was even with um maybe some of the wrong shooters shooting. Like there's never a scenario where Kowasi Reeves and Myron Jones take five threes and Anthony Derigi takes five threes. Like that's not the kind of shot selection that you want. I think what we're seeing is like Derugi seems to get shots a lot in, in kind of just Florida's kind of motion continuity. Um, some of that's probably because teams are saying, Hey, there's a guy we can seg off of. And, and, Obviously, a lot of those threes are from the corner. That's where teams want to help off of. Um, so it just is kind of he, he's someone who's kind of built to get those the, those kinds of shots. But then you look at you know someone like Myron Jones, who's already hot. He's shooting two for three from three, and you're just like, yeah, you would have loved to have seen him have six attempts or nine attempts even. Um, but again, he's someone who I feel like the Gators need to actually kind of make a focused effort at at getting shots for. So uh, I. I 
again, I think we mentioned, we kind of joked the other game where, you know, he went four for whatever from three and we're like, Hey, we would have loved to have gotten, you know, so many more shots. Same as Kowasi Reeves. He had a two for three game. We're like, Hey, I don't know if we want these shooters to ever finish two for three. You'd rather have them go like two for six and know that they took some more attempts and were able to get open when they were hitting shots. And um, I feel like that's something we might've liked from, from Myra Jones, but I'm glad you touched a little bit on, on Florida's offense too, just because you look at the 57 point total and you're like, Oh, the Gators probably, you know, played badly offensively. That's that's going to be some people's takeaway just because they see 57 points from the Gators, but they were at 0.97 points per possession, which again is not great, um, but it's not awful. And I, I think they got a lot of good shots that, like you said, were just maybe from the wrong shooters. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, again, it just kind of spoke to, again, that all that offensive rebounding from Kentucky. Their, for lack of a better term, time of possession was so high that the Gators just didn't have the ball that much because when they actually did get shots up, um, you know, they're still pretty efficient. Um, even though you had, uh, you know, the likes of, of Flanders or Flanders Fleming and Anthony Drugi taking a bunch of threes and, and not so much like, you know, Myron Jones. Yeah. I mean, look again, Florida 46.2% from the field. So that's pretty good. Like I said, the second highest figure at Rupp for an opponent all year. Um, I don't know if the points per possession tracks that, but I would imagine it does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the two numbers that really stick out and to Eric's point demonstrate kind of the, the golf between Florida and the elite teams in the sec are the plus 18 transition points, um, and plus 16 on the, in the rebounds. I mean, you know, Oscar Shibway had 10 offensive rebounds yesterday. Uh, Florida had, uh, five as a team. So kind of gives you an idea of, you know, Florida, not really collaboratively rebounding uh there were rebounds that florida had hands on and couldn't secure there were tip outs by kentucky that were collected by savier wheeler um he had a couple offensive rebounds which is never what you want to see in a box score uh so i think you know kind of a golf between that and and so that would be point a i guess and then point b would be is that okay uh, for there to be this big a golf between Florida and Kentucky, maybe because it's always going to be more hard to play them at Rupp Arena. We'll see what happens when they come to Gainesville. No real reason to think the game will be terribly different. Um, but, uh, you know, I think when you start talking about what the standard is at Florida, you have to wonder why there's such a gap in class between the Gators and what is supposed to be their biggest basketball rival. Um, you know, I, I think that's problematic. And then you have to wonder about rotations when like, like, uh, Eric and I have talked about here on this show, Eric, but you know, I mean, Kowasi Reeves also was plus two yesterday in 17 minutes. So lane minus five Felder plus five Reeves plus two. I mean, you know, at some point you'll live with Colin Castleton being minus 23 when he's eight of 12 from the floor and grabs eight rebounds. But, uh, you know, he was turnover prone, but still, I mean, it's not just a question of golf and class. Like I question I'm starting to ask is, are the right guys even playing? Well, I, I think too, like, so, so Kwesi had like, I guess the early in the game when Florida went to zone, he had like a mental lapse of all mental lapses that led to a wide open layup. I thought it was just pretty purely Reeves fault. Um, just it just is what it is. I don't think it was much of a miscommunication. I just thought he blew a coverage there. Um, yep. so, and then of course he had a little bit of a tough shot that I don't think Mike White loved, um, which, you know, not, a, not a great shot. He is capable of making that, but I think there was some time on the clock that 
could have gotten something better. So yeah, I wouldn't say the best of Kwesi Reeves for sure. I, I thought this was, yeah, just not his, not his best game. Um, I also thought he competed on the glass in a way that some of the smaller wings are just not capable of doing. So I thought that was uh kind of a mark for, for Reeves. So, you know, I would have seen like to see him out there a little bit. And it, again, something we kind of mentioned even earlier in the season is just like when you see longer athletic teams, sometimes you look at some of these players on the Gators and you can just tell like, yeah, we're dealing with two different kind of like, kinds of players between some of these transfers and some of these high level sec athletes. And you see Kwesi Reeves out there at six foot seven and long and, and can move with them. And it's like, you know, they, that's something I like that, you know, Jimmy Dykes pointed out was just like, yeah, like he, he, he doesn't look out of place next to Ty Ty Washington, where sometimes shots went up and guys went out the glass and it was just kind of looked like a, you know, a, a varsity game with, with some of the, you know, smaller Gators kind of, waving at a ball that was getting high pointed a foot higher than, than, you know, what they could get to. So uh, would have maybe, you know, changed that, but just even talking a little bit about plus minuses and, and the lineups, there was two lineups that got just absolutely hammered for the Gators. Um, it was the the starting lineup um, was, was minus 13, that group of five um, with, with Appleby and, and Lane and Fleming and Drusian Castleton. Um, and then there was also um, when uh that when when Appleby went out with his injury and Brandon McKissick came in place, um, or so sorry, not it's a little bit different than that. Um, so when it was McKissick, Myron Jones, Flanders Fleming, Deruji, and Castleton, that lineup was also minus 13. Um, and then other than that, most of Florida's lineups really competed. Um, Deruji, McKissick, Felder, Kowasi Reeves, and Niles Lane. Um, they were plus five. You know, that's a pretty, you know, decent mark in a game that you lose by by 21. Um, McKissick, Lane, Reeves, Felder, and Castleton. Um, they were plus three in, in some smaller minutes, but you know, they competed. So really there was there was two lineups for the Gators that got blasted, and then everyone else kind of competed. So, you know, I know you mentioned there, Neil. You're like, I'm not even sure if the right guys really played. Um, I, I know you hadn't heard that lineup data yet, so I'm sure you're finding that um even more intriguing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super interesting. And, and again, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I, I haven't been thrilled with the play of Anthony Derugy lately. Um, although he did have three assists yesterday, which, uh, it was a little more careful with the basketball. Um, I think like you said, some of his shots are continuity of the offense based. Uh, but you know, that's on the staff to make sure they're running plays for the right shooters. Um, you know, and I don't think that they necessarily did that yesterday, which makes it even more impressive that they shot 46% given that Tyree Appleby played seven minutes. Um, you know, he bravely tried to come out and play a little in the second half and couldn't go. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I think Gators to be at 0.97 points per possession with Tyree Appleby playing seven minutes at Kentucky is a sign to me that they did a pretty decent job. Uh, on offense, but they just got obliterated in transition. And when you have 10 turnovers, which isn't even that many really against a team like Kentucky, but you give up 18 points out of those turnovers, you're not doing things the way you should be doing them in transition defense either. I know that Mike White talked about it a little after the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I just don't think that Florida is capable of playing very fast either with the ball or defending. That's really where you see athleticism differences between teams. Like 
sometimes it's yeah on, on the glass and uh, I mean you did see that against Kentucky um or you know sometimes it does come with like hey can you in the half court is there like one offensive player that's just getting by the defense's best defensive player every single time but like when you really see it is like okay here's three offensive players running a fast break against three defensive players who's able to score or stop them and like that's where you just saw again when it was the the you know severe wheeler with the ball and Ty Ty Washington and Keon Brooks coming down and it's you know insert pretty much any group of three wings that the Gators had out there. Um, and, and they were just getting to the rim, finishing over guys, getting around guys like that. That it, Again, it was just such a big, you know, ever since the, ever since the start of this podcast, we've been saying the Gators need to get more wings. They need to get more athletic. They need to get more guys that can play with the ball in their hands. And, and again, just seeing that against Kentucky where um, transition was kind of just uh, an indication of how far ahead of ahead of the Gators they are kind of right there. And um, you can say, Hey, I guess like maybe just, just Florida want to play a different style, but yeah, if you get in situations where you're, you're giving Kentucky all these fast break opportunities um, this is kind of that, you know, that's what you're going to get. And um, I, I had a different, uh, not, not a Kentucky assistant coach, but an assistant coach from another sec team. Um, tell me that he thought um, that they could just go relentlessly at the offensive glass against the Gators because they weren't concerned with Florida pushing on them in transition, which was a little bit of a, you know, dagger to, to, <laughs> to the soul of us who want to see the Gators be able to score in transition. And um, I do think that was another thing talking about like, can the Gators, you know, eat, offensively they're, they're playing transition is like some of these other teams. And I think Kentucky, like you, like you were even mentioning early that severe Wheeler was getting all these tip outs. Cause it's like severe Wheeler, the point guard, who's usually shot goes up. He gets on the other side of half court and, and gets back on transition defense. He was just hanging out by the three point line, ready for the ball to get tipped out because statistically it was just as likely that Kentucky was going to get the basketball as Florida and if Florida did get the basketball. They were not concerned with Florida scoring on them. So um, yeah, just uh transition on both sides of the ball. There's a pretty, pretty big difference between, you know, the Kentucky Wildcats and the Florida Gators. Yeah. Hoopland says Florida is um, failing to claim the rebound on 39.5% of opponents, three point shots. That's the worst number in the sec. So pretty much like if you shoot a three against the Gators, there's a two and five chance that you're going to collect the offensive rebound. Um, and you can kind of see why, because Florida can't get out in transition, why that number's unlikely to go down, even when Florida rebounds collaboratively. I mean, I think first or second podcast of this season before play even started, we discussed like, hey, what are you worried about with this team? And both of us thought they were going to shoot it a little better than they have. Um, but to be fair, they've shot it pretty well the last few games, finally. Um but I think rebounding was a concern that we had at the beginning of the season. Um, and it's been magnified. And I, yesterday obviously hurt even more because they couldn't run out Jason Jatobo against the big body of Oscar Shibwe and uh, the, the big uh, wooden award candidate feasted. Yeah, it was nice to see. I thought that, that to see Felder out there getting some of those backup minutes, um, yeah, again, Jimmy Dykes, I thought was really good on the call on, in this game. And, and he kind of pointed out a couple of those times where like, you know, guys were just not like, like, it, like sometimes it's like, yeah, here's the monster that is Oscar Shibwe carving out position and going up and high pointing a ball above a Gator. But there was a whole bunch of them where he was just purely not blocked out the, you know, the best offensive rebounder we've maybe seen in a decade in college basketball. Yeah. And there was times where he just had free runs to the rim. And, and th those are the things where it's like, 
yes, you know, I, I keep talking about how I wish the Gators were longer and more athletic at the wings. It's like, that's not the case with some of these rebounds. It's like, okay, yeah, here's the best offensive rebounder that I think I've, you know, ever seen covering this team. And he's just getting free runs at the basketball because no one's blocking him out. And I think that that just shows how it kind of showed the extent of, of Florida's offensive or sorry, defensive rebounding problem where number one thing on the scouting report is, is keeping Oscar Shibway off the glass and, and guys look at him, then look back at the rim and hope the ball bounces to them. It's like, that's not going to work against mediocre offensive rebounders, much less Oscar Shibway. So I, I mean, the Gators are now 317th in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. Last year, they were 275th. The year before that, they were 150th. The year before that, they were 313th. The year before that, they were 256th. Um, I could go on. Um, I guess there's only a couple more years in the Mike White era in that one. But uh, you can see that, like, again, it's not a, this is not an isolated problem. And um, it's just pretty clear that, like, there's going to be games where your first shot defense is, is pretty good, like I thought Florida's was. Like, that's one thing I guess you haven't even been able to give the Gators credit for yet is I actually did think their first shot defense was, was pretty good in a lot of situations, but it's just all for naught if you don't rebound the basketball. And then you look at the points per possession. I think it was like 1.3 something for, for Kentucky. Um, the Gators dropped a whole bunch in Ken Palm because of it. Uh, and of course get blown out because of it. So again, it's, it's too bad that I wish we could also be spending this time, like talking about how Florida defended pretty well. Um, but you know, ultimately they, they, did not on the whole defend well because of that points for possession number because of the, because of their inability to defensive rebound. Yeah. And what I would say, I would add that Florida was plus two um, in rebounding at one point in this game. And that was when Florida had cut it to one and Kentucky called timeout. So at, at, there was a period in time during Florida's big 15 to two run where the Gators switched to zone, which I thought was a really nice adjustment by white. They were getting first chance stops and they were collectively pushing to rebound, whether it was like Eric mentioned earlier, Kowasi Reeves coming in and just getting a tip or a hand on a ball. Niles Lane got a hand on a couple balls and the Gators were able to win the second ball. Um, not enough of that, not enough clean technical block box outs, um, which really is not something that shouldn't happen. As Eric said, with, with Oscar Shibway on the floor and, and uh, after Florida got to plus two, they ended up minus 18 in the last 24 minutes of the game. Uh, which explains why things went from a one-point lead to a 21-point lead. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, I, I, of course, um, of course, it's it's going to be Oscar Shibway that gets all the credit for offensive rebounding because he was awesome. Um, but another thing that was concerning is Lance Ware is not a good offensive rebounder. And he, he even hammered the Gators on the glass. Like he had four offensive rebounds in, in 14 minutes. Um, I, I don't know what it was going into the, or I forgot what it was going into the, um, going into this game, but his, you know, his offensive rebound rate was, you know, not, not that impressive going into that game. And, and, uh, even he kind of got, got going on the Gators. So, um, it was really everyone. And, uh, that I, what, one thing I did want to get your, your kind of thought on Neil was after the game. I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, you pointed this number out. Um, so did Mike White. I actually hadn't really thought about it during the game until Mike White, mentioned it and it's like oh that number's not very big um but mike white mentioned that the gators only had five offensive rebounds and that um they need kind of i forget was his exact, exact words were but like you know we need to grab more than five offensive rebounds um who do you think he's he's kind of who do you think that's targeted towards i guess i'll ask you know i think to some extent it's probably targeted towards colin castleton a little bit but i think um 
you know, CJ Felder got some more minutes probably because they thought he could do that a little bit uh, or they didn't trust Toon Gakic on Shibuya. Then I got to think it's some of it's on Anthony DeRuji, right? Like he's just so athletic and we've heard white over and over reference. Like sometimes I think Anthony's too nice a guy, uh, which is something that they used to say about uh, Kayvon Allen and Devin Robinson a little bit, Um, you know, going all the way back. Like, you know, I don't know if they have that like streak where they get in and are nasty and want to want to compete on the glass. And I think, uh, I really think it's a skill Anthony should have. His athleticism is just uh, too great. And the areas where he's deficient athletically, like moving laterally, none of those things affect offensive rebounding. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's kind of straight verticality and 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 length. So, uh, yeah, you think like I I think he had zero offensive rebounds. I think Flanders Fleming did as well. I mean, I I guess that would be maybe someone, but um, I I thought it was interesting. And again, the Gators, um, one thing they actually have done well, um, despite the fact that they haven't been able to defensively rebound the ball um, is that they have been able to offensive rebound the ball. They're 61st in the country right now. Uh, I think they were like 52nd or 53rd going into the Kentucky game where, you know, they only get five and, and it drops. Um, But uh, again, it's one of those things where, you know, if when you're, not a great offensive team. Um, you need those extra possessions. And um, you look at, again, like something you've kept saying on this podcast, Neil, it was, you know, transition baskets. It was turnovers and it was offensive rebounding. And it's pretty much the turnovers, offensive rebounds that just gave Kentucky so many more possessions than the Gators. And you got to be really efficient to make up that kind of deficit in total possessions. And um, the Gators weren't. So uh, I think Kentucky, or sorry, I think Ken Palm had Kentucky by 13 or 14. Um it was, uh, I think the betting line was 10 or 11 points or something like that. Um, so that would be kind of the expected outcome. Of course, um, it was worse than that. So the Gators dropped to 54th in the in uh, in Ken Palm. And in the number that matters more, the net ratings or net rankings, um, the Gators are now 50th. Yeah, they're 50th and you kind of have to get to that top 35 if you want to have a chance to be an at-large team, I think. Um, Florida's going to have a couple more opportunities to do that. They'll get one uh, starting Tuesday night with a, another chance for a quad two win. Uh, it's stuck. It's snuck in to the quad two uh, tier. So um, a quad two opportunity Tuesday night at Texas A&M. The Aggies have lost eight consecutive games in the SEC. But if you look at them on Ken Palm, for example – a lot of similarities to the Gators. They force a lot of turnovers on defense. They give up a ton of offensive rebounds because they don't rebound very well. Uh, they get a lot of offensive rebounds because it's like one area of rebounding that they do do pretty well. They don't shoot as many as as many three-pointers as Florida. They have more guys that can drive and kind of create uh, off the bounce, but they also don't make um, a ton of threes either. Florida is probably a little bit better of an offensive team. Then Texas A&M, I think they're pretty similar teams defensively. Yeah, Texas A&M is pure chaos. Um, they are trying to turn other teams over as much as possible. So they will press uh, full court. They will trap in the half court. They will play funky zones to try to force steals. Um, and they are third in the country, I believe, in in steal percentage, which is uh, pretty crazy. Oh, it looks like if they went up to number two. Um, yeah, second. Number, so second in the country in steal percentage. Um, and then you also see that, uh, like Neil mentioned, they really get after the offensive glass. They're 27th in the country in offensive rebounding. 
and uh, they're not that big or athletic. They are quite undersized. They're not super athletic. Um, so they get hammered on the defensive glass. Um, they're kind of like Florida, where they're a good offensive rebounding team and a bad defensive rebounding team, except uh, Texas A&M is a better offensive rebounding team. They're 27th in the country, and they are worse defensive rebounding than Florida. They're 343rd in the country. So I, I, you can just tell they know they are um, not super talented, um, offensively, they're not super athletic, so they know they have to cause just carnage and make the game as hectic as possible. Um, it's a kind of desperation that you kind of normally see from like, um, you know, mid-major teams and, and some of those teams like go to the NCAA tournaments and have success. Like if you're not the more talented team, you want things to get chaotic and that's what they've done. And you saw them um, start SEC play um, with four straight wins. And then uh, like Neil mentioned, they've got uh, eight straight losses, but um, they only lost to Kentucky by six. Um, they played Arkansas in overtime. They played LSU close when LSU was still playing better basketball. They stayed in the game for a lot of it with Tennessee. So, like, um, that's why the metrics actually, you know, don't hate them. They're 73rd in Ken Palm and um, around that number in the net as well. So uh, I would say much better than their, you know, eight-game losing streak would suggest. Yeah, and they have an interesting blend on their roster. Um, you know, they were another one of the teams that, you know, there was so much – made of Florida's roster turnover last season. And Texas A&M was one of 10 SEC programs that had more turnover on their roster than Florida did. They brought in six transfers, um, a bunch of whom all play, but they also signed uh, a couple of freshmen who have played a lot. Uh, Manny Obaseki um, was one of the highest rated recruits to ever sign with Texas A&M, five-star player, uh, left-handed, not the most scintillating offensive player yet. Um, still only playing about 10 minutes a game because he's not quite there for them on that side of the ball. Uh, and then the other uh, freshman is Wade Taylor, who was a high four-star, and Wade has started some games and played quite a bit more, has kind of settled into a role as their sixth man. Um, and I think is a guy that, that they're real high on long-term, but right now they're still pretty transfer reliant. They rely uh, very heavily on the Virginia tech transfer Tyrese Radford, who Florida fans should be familiar with because he played pretty well against the Gators in the NCAA tournament. Uh, And then Marcus Williams, um, a transfer from uh, Wyoming, a pretty good mid-major program actually, who has come into the sec uh, and, and, you know, kind of struggled with the adjustment a little bit, a la Brandon McKissick. His his numbers are down pretty much across the board. Um, so, you know, that's interesting. Henry Coleman is another transfer that uh, is one of their double-digit scorers. He's a transfer from Duke. So kind of a lot of strange – a strange composition for their roster uh, for Buzz Williams in uh, as he continues to try to, to claw together his program in, in College Station. Yeah, that's Wyoming, who if you're you know a fan of college basketball on the whole, you should cheer for because they're awesome this year and really defend and could be a giant killer in the NCAA tournament. But as a Florida team, you should cheer for them to lose as aggressively as possible because uh, they're an at-large team um, that uh, will be ahead of the Gators right now in, in bubble talk. But uh, uh, they're pretty good. Um, Wade Taylor, he's a, he's a guy that I, you know, I, I really enjoy watching him play. I've been really impressed by... Uh, um, by him so far, he's kind of like a Mike White guard, like someone who's you know six foot, um, defends well. He's kind of leads their team in steal percentage, not raw steals because he doesn't play um, 
that many minutes, I don't think, but, uh, um, you know, he's been like 18 to 20. So I don't think he leads the team in, in Ross deals, but, um, when he's out there, he's the guy who's flying around, coming up with turnovers, aggressively trapping really good at the top of the press. And, um, then he's also, um, got a really good assist number. He, he really passes the ball. Well, um, makes good reads. Like I, I just think he's a, you know, really impressive player who, uh, at six foot is probably not going to be an NBA guy anytime soon. So uh, we could see him for um, a, a lot of matchups here in, in the future. So I've uh, been, been, been pretty impressed by him. And um, then Henry Coleman, like, yeah, he was a guy who was at Duke and was a pretty kind of highly rated, um, highly rated recruit. Who's kind of had like, a bit of a rebrand. He was like the six foot seven, like wanted to be a kind of three and D wing kind of guy. And uh, now at Texas A&M, he's like bulked up a bunch more. And now he's like plays pretty much all his minutes at the five. Um, but he's still got like, he's, you know, so like he's listed at like six foot eight and like, you know, 250 pounds. I don't know if that's true. I think at Duke, he was like listed at, you know, like six, seven and like two twenty, but somewhere around there, but he plays physical. He's, he's, he's not massive. And um, that's part of the reason they kind of get, you know, beat on the defensive glass. Um, but he's a player that I think is just kind of, you know, ready to explode for, you know, 20 points and, and, and 10 rebounds every game. He's kind of got that pedigree. And um, then Tyrese Radford, a player that uh, was kind of interesting. I mean, we talked about him last year on the podcast, of, like not even sure if he'd play in the NCAA tournament game because of some off the court problems. And um, I don't think we even knew until the day of if he was going to play. And then, yeah, he has 18 points against the Gators and really fueled Virginia Tech's comeback. So um, again, kind of the player that the Gators have had a little bit of trouble with. He's He's not a good shooter. He's not super even quick or athletic, but you know, six to 200 pounds and just savvy and, and kind of gets to the paint whenever he wants. So um, that's definitely a matchup of concern um, as we kind of know that Florida's had trouble with these guys that have just kind of continued to get into the paint against them. Yeah. I mean, they're interesting in terms of their guard play because like Eric said, they're not very big. I mean, Radford uh, is six, two Obaseki is six, four. And I think he's probably listed a little too high. He does not look six, four. When you watch him on TV, he looks more six, two, six, three ish. Um, even one of their better wings, their leading scorer, Quentin Jackson is six, four. Um, Andre Gordon, who I think Wade Taylor has stolen a lot of Andre Gordon's minutes. Uh, Andre Gordon shoots 42% from downtown has developed a shot, but isn't as good a passer and isn't as good defensively as well. So they're happy to let Wade Taylor uh, run the point. Andre Gordon, more of a combo guard that, that can play some point guard, um, only 6'2". But I think the distinction is the way that Buzz runs his offense uh, and the way that they space the floor, they're all driving lanes. And so, you know, they do make you kind of decide, hey, uh, are you going to be aggressive in the gap, slow down driving lanes, or are you going to, um, you know, make sure you stay on shooters? And they don't have a ton of shooters, but – um, they do have a couple guys that that can knock down shots uh, in Gordon and in um, Radford. Yeah, it's a bit of a different offense than you kind of see from a lot of these SEC teams that are like, hey, we've got awesome guards, so let's just pick and roll and dump it into a really good, you know, seven footer. Um, yeah, it's they're They're more of like, Hey, can you kind of get guys stampeding towards the rim, catching the ball on the move and getting towards the towards the paint. Um, they're a pretty good cutting team um, because of the way that they kind of space the floor. And then they're also a team that, uh, you know, does push it in, in transition 
um, a, a lot. I think again, they're they're pretty like uh, they're pretty analytically kind of savvy team. They were kind of one of the first teams I had heard of in the SEC that had analytics guys. So um, I, I can kind of see just like again with like again with their like, hey, we're going to value getting steals over everything. Hey, we're going to value offensive rebounding over everything, and like we're going to push it in transition a lot, even though we're not super athletic. So uh, I, I do think they play you know well in transition for sure. Um, they certainly don't have those Kentucky athletes to just you know overwhelm you but uh someone like Tyrese Radford who just like keeps his dribble alive and keeps his dribble alive and keeps his dribble alive and you think you've got him contained and then he like finishes a reverse layup like he's kind of got some of that some of that craft to it so um they're they're, they're again I, I I people are probably catching it just with the you know tone of my voice but I, I really do enjoy watching Texas A&M play uh just because it is like some like crafty guys that aren't awesome and they play just so chaotically it's uh um it can make for a not very fun game from a gator standpoint um but uh you know this is also a game where like if the gators were to win by you know 16 it, it wouldn't shock me at all because i do think that the gators um are, are more talented i don't think that they have a matchup for for colin castleton but you can also see a situation where it's like oh my goodness the gators just turned the ball over 18 times and texas a&m had 14 offensive rebounds and you don't think the Gators played, you know, all that poorly, but suddenly they lose by by nine or ten. It's it's kind of one of those games that could kind of swing pretty wildly either way. Yeah, it really is. And I, I, you know, one thing I would add is that I think a lot of what ends up happening um, is going to depend on Tyree Appleby, just because Florida doesn't really have anyone else that I trust completely against a team that presses on twenty two point four percent of possessions which is where texas a&m is right now and in terms of how much they deploy their full court press that's a lot um you know it's going to happen after every make so how is that thigh on short rest um we will find out yeah i mean obviously if florida can get into half court sets uh, texas a&m is very disciplined in their half court sets uh defensively um it's going to be you know they will back out of their hard traps back out of their press and get into man-to-man, Eric. Um, but they don't really have that matchup that you would need for Colin Castleton. They got absolutely obliterated by Wildens Levique of South Carolina. Um, and uh, he ain't Colin Castleton. So, um, you know, definitely areas where Florida can take schematic advantage, I think. Um, but got to get the ball up uh, and – get into your offense. Texas A&M is going to control tempo with their defense. Although I don't think uh, that playing fast is really in Mike White's DNA. So I don't imagine that the Gators are going to be too bothered by that. Yeah, I think too, we even saw, we saw a couple more sets in, in Florida's offense. They ran a nice Spain pick and roll um, kind of that you set a pick and roll and then have a third player set a back screen on the big man defender. It got Brandon McKissick all the way to the rim um, to score. And uh, I, I think also, like, again, Jimmy Dykes pointing it out, they played a variation of flex offense, which um, I also thought was pretty funny when he's like, yeah, it was really popular like 20 years ago. Um, the Gators did a little modernized version of it um, where it's like the flex screen, that cross screen across the um, across the baseline. Um, and then that player who sets that screen would normally get a down screen, but instead they had that player who set the flex screen go and set a back screen. So there was always like – a lob opportunity or a, or a backdoor. So it was like a slightly modernized flex, but I just still thought it was pretty funny what Jimmy Dyke said. So um, I, it's just, you know, one of those things where it still feels like the, the best offense for the Gators is running sets in the half court. Um, I thought that uh, they did well to not just like 
go to Colin Castleton too much. Of course, it obviously was helpful when he was hitting mid-range jump shots. Um, but this is definitely another matchup, like when it's, you know, Coleman on him where he's got so much length, um, he can probably get to that hook shot a lot. So uh, I, I don't want to see the Gators just kind of overdoing it to the extent that um, the opportunity cost is just so much there that other guys aren't getting going. Um, actually, but at the same time, if, if Tyree Appleby's unable to play, which like, man, when you've like... That like deep thigh bruise is so painful to begin with. And I watched the one from a couple of weeks where he got need there. And it was like the identical spot against, against Kentucky. Like that's gotta be just so much pain. So I guess we'll, we'll see, but um, yeah, I just really fell for him. That's just like awful luck. Just kind of like when like Trey Mann kept getting smoked in the face by elbows repeatedly in the same part of his jaw last season, Um, him taking (laughs) like hard knees to the same part of his quad that, that is like, that's pain. So um, we'll see if he's there. But again, maybe if he's not, then maybe I would be a little bit more okay with like, you know, feeding it to Castle and a whole bunch. It's uh, definitely a game where he's got a matchup for it. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're outside of like maybe linebacker or running back, it's, it's hard to imagine a, a worse characteristic as like speedy point guard to have like a speedy undersized point guard to have a deep thigh bruise. Like it's not the kind of injury that, that you uh, want to have if you're a player that, that relies on the things that Tyree Appleby does. I want to ask you like a bigger term question about Buzz Williams, because obviously it was such a, a uh, celebrated hire. I'm a little bit in that Chris Mack mold of like, this can't go wrong. And to be fair to Buzz, I mean, he was SEC coach of the year, his first year at hand him. Um, you know, they, they went from what, like a two win team to 16 and 14. And I think finishing fifth or sixth, sixth in the SEC, uh, his first season last year, really took a step back, went eight and 10, two and eight in the league and in, in the abbreviated conference play. They had a bunch of COVID issues last year though. Um, you know, but it was strange when he took the job, right? Because he really had Virginia Tech rolling. Um, and it just seemed like he was a great fit there. And yet obviously he's from Texas and it was a chance for him to go home to college station. Uh, but he seems to have had some, like his guys play hard. Um, but they've had some issues with putting together a roster that that uh, has a real identity. Yeah, I mean, I was someone who was a huge fan of the hire at the time. I've certainly kind of changed my perception a little bit of that. Um, and, and I think part of it is like there's more and more stories that come out that like, like, I, like Buzz Williams was kind of known as like someone that was like, Oh, pretty likable. His antics on the hat, like, like on the sideline are, are pretty funny. Like we'll see it against the Gators, but there's probably going to be times where you like, you think he's guarding Tyree Appleby out there. Like he's down in a stance. He's sliding side to side. Like he's got a lot of energy. Um, he, uh, I think people might remember him like ninja kicking a water bottle after off the, um, off the bench when he, there was a big bucket for Texas A&M last year. So yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of known as, you know, had someone that was known as kind of like a fun personality. A lot of guys liked, but there's been a lot of stories recently. Um, well, not recently over the last year and a half that show that he's maybe a bit more of an abrasive personality than, I would have expected. And uh, I, I think when you see that there has been so many player turnover uh, that, that have left, I, I, maybe that has something to do with it. But um, th- the one thing I, I would say is like uh, at Virginia tech, they had three straight years of very, very good offense, um, elite offense, I would say for three consecutive years. 
Um, of course, that coinciding with Gary Blackshear a little bit. I mean, as well as some NBA players with, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and, and Robinson. But uh, they were fantastic offensively. Um, and Texas A&M has gotten significantly better offensively um, each year he's been there. Um, but again, it's just like, you know, it's one thing if you're, you know, the Gators and you're an NCAA tournament team and you roll over five transfers. It's another one when you're not an NCAA tournament team, not very good to begin with. And then you're rolling over six transfers, like you were saying, with how much roster turnover happened there. So at, at some point, they've got to kind of keep some people around. Um, they have recruited, you know, pretty well, given the, that kind of situation. Um, but I, I, I still think we see pretty good, you know, offense from Texas A&M, but their, their players just haven't been great. And uh, they really, you know, haven't defended that that well either. So uh, I'll be interested kind of how much kind of rope he has there. Um, obviously, they're not going to make the tournament this year unless they were to, you know, make some magical run in the SEC tournament. Um, and because they have all these transfers, it's like, some of these guys are going to be gone and you just, I guess you'll see if they get gutted again um, by the transfer portal. But um, yeah, I'll say, you know, Buzz Williams, certainly not as high on him as I, as I once was um, still think he's a really good offensive mind, but um, a bit of an abrasive personality that has not worked well for a lot of players and staff members. And uh, it's, 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 it's kind of left me, you know, kind of left me wondering a little bit. I'll be, I'll be interested to know how much, how much kind of kind of run he has there. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think if they can keep this roster together, to your point, um, you know, there's there's hope for the immediate future. I don't know if Tyrese Radford will stick around uh, or if, you know, he'll go try to play in Europe or, or something like that. But the rest of their group, uh, I really do think Manny Obaseki is going to be a great player. Um, they have pieces they've recruited. Like we mentioned, Wade Taylor, uh, we mentioned – we did not mention uh, Javante Brown, who's one of their bigs. They recruited Hassan Diara, uh, who was in their signing class last year. So if they can keep a bunch of guys around, they're only really going to lose maybe Radford and then Quentin Jackson um, and have a chance to come back with a pretty strong roster. And to Eric's point, this is the first year they've been in the top 100 in adjusted offensive efficiency uh, in the Williams era, and they've improved pretty markedly each year. So it's hard to know that when you're losing eight consecutive sec games, uh, the way that they have, but, um, you know, they're going to keep competing. And, and I think Florida's going to get their best shot on Tuesday night. Uh, cause they're going to watch the Florida video and be like, this is a team we can beat. Yeah. For a team that's really good on the offensive glass, they'll be, they'll be seeing a, a vulnerable Florida team. And uh, again, I would just, I, I've said it a whole bunch of the podcasts already, but like their game is just all about chaos. Like how hectic can they make the game? And again, when they're playing um, at home and can kind of feed off the energy of their crowd, I'm sure that that full court press is going to be a little bit tighter and their um, energy to go on the offensive glass will be just a little bit more. So um, it's definitely a concerning game. Um, Ken Palm, I think has it as uh, as a one point. Um, Texas A, or okay, it looks like it just updated. Um, I refreshed. Um, it has it as a two point um, win for Texas A&M over the Gators. And uh, again, this is one of those ones where it's like, okay, quadrant two game. Um, this is not one of the ones that like sinks Florida's resume by, by any means, but it's also like, here's a team that's nowhere near the NCAA tournament picture. Um, if the Gators do want to be on the right side of the bubble, these are the games that they have kind of put themselves in a position where, where they are, are, are going to need to win. Yeah, no, I think it's a must win for Florida, given what's coming up uh, with Auburn next weekend. And then we've kept talking about it. We saw Arkansas lose at Alabama 
yesterday. So uh, as we record here on Super Bowl Sunday, um, you know, Florida will have a chance in that game, and that would be a huge, a huge resume booster. As with the Auburn game, if Florida can manage to replicate their performance at Auburn, they'll be right in that game, I would imagine. But um, a huge one for Florida that I don't think that they can really afford to drop uh, Tuesday night if they hope to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't know. Anything else for you to send us off, Eric? No, I don't think so. You want to make a, uh, a Super Bowl selection? That'll probably be, you know, old takes exposed because we're recording just before the game starts. And um, when people listen to this, it uh, the game could very well be over. Oh, man, I don't know. I, you know, I've gone kind of back and forth on it, but I'm buying into the Joe Burrow magic. So uh, give me Joe Burrow and maybe Evan McPherson to uh, finish the the glorious run of kickers with some sort of game winning kick. The Evan McPherson, like the, like for people into the props, I think that the uh, it's pretty interesting. Like the the MVP Evan McPherson odds um, are like uh, unlike what we would normally see from a kicker. So I'll be uh, I'll be hoping he bombs away, especially in that that kind of stadium. Guys have been hitting some pretty long ones, so um, IOP just like gets to pull from from fifty five or more a couple of times and uh, just has an all time kicking performance. That's what, that's what I'm cheering for. But uh, but that's about it. So uh, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.